Fuck pain. Fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, it's interview time again, as mixed martial artist and budding jiu-jitsu historian Robert Drysdale joins Bellelli for a jiu-jitsu-rific conversation, including the never-ending shifting required to maintain temporary balance. The dangers of digging into jiu-jitsu history. How ego seems to serve as both ally and foe. Sometimes our best teachers are our students. Here we go. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind for the Drunken Dows podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Another fine episode of the Drunken Dows podcast, episode 148. They're stacking up like crazy. Across from me, as always, my pal, Daniele Bellelli, fresh back from a refreshing vacation in the mountains. Yes. Happy New Year. Yes, yes, yes. It was awesome, man. Happy New Year to you. Uh, yeah, it's funny to be in L.A., warm all the time and suddenly to drive two hours and be way up in the mountains in the middle of the snow very cool it is nice only place where you can surf and ski on the same day they say that but who the hell would want to do that probably nobody but it's nice to know that you can certainly yeah i don't know i think you kind of want to pick one yeah it it sounds a little bit like those extreme marathon bike race triathlon yeah i don't think the desert in the ocean just pick one and go for it it's fun to say it that's it is fun to say, thing. and it is true. I mean, absolutely, we do have the amazing geography of the mountains dropping into the ocean here. Yeah, um, so that's a plus. And we had rain. People don't understand how I know. awesome Water it is. Water falling from the sky. That's crazy. Is. A lot of people standing naked outside with their arms extended, just sort of yeah, tell soaking it, to people it in. in. Right now, like our entire listenership in Seattle, Washington, is just telling us, go to hell. Well, you know, we actually burned a lot too, so you know, you get both sides of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is glorious as I'm looking out the window here. He's got a great look at the valley as it heads towards uh, L.A. proper, and um, the color palette is a whole oh, yeah. three shades darker. Yeah, now it's that the, dusty uh, remnant, washed out desert city has now got some uh, density to it. The season when L.A. does not look like it's just some About dry to blow desert. away. Yeah. Cool, man. Let's jump into a couple of things. Okay, today with us, Robert Drysdale for a fun conversation. Robert is a super smart guy, really nice, and one of the true gods of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So check him out. And I mean, among his various distinction, one of the very few men ever to ever tap Marcelo Garcia was basically like, say, Michael Jordan in jiu-jitsu. So, and Robert is fun. He's always great to chat with. So check out the conversation. Before we jump into that, let's say a couple of thank yous. Let's start out with the glorious folks at Blue Chew. (gasps) Now, as you have probably picked on by now, Rich and I are huge fans of the glory that is Blue Chew. So do tell us, Rich, Blue Chew. Well, 
you just got to be honest with it. And I put it into a little song. <clears throat> blue chew, blue chew. You'll make you make coo when you crunch a blue chew. I, I like your uh, musical inclinations. Well, thank that, you. Those are always appreciated. Promo code DRUNK. <laughs> Allow you to try Bluetooth for free. Uh, $5 for shipping, but other than that, you don't pay for the actual medication. Same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. Prescribed online, ships straight to your door. We are fans. What can I say? Check it out if you... It's a great enhancement. Yeah, totally. It, returns, it, it turns the clock back a little bit. Yeah. That's yeah, the yeah. best way I can describe it. Yeah, most definitely. Remember those things that would wake you up when you were 19? Very much back yeah. in uh, full swing uh, with the glory of blue chew. <laughs> it's funny, man. It's like we turn into like 13 year old every time we, turn, we talk about blue chew. Like we look at each other, we have this ridiculously like ha 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 satisfied smile. It so is pretty goofy. Yeah, it is, but it's awesome. And okay. you do have to be careful with it. No more than one a day. And yeah, they yeah, do do a little check. You're going to have to fill some questions out. And don't lie about it. You don't want your heart to pop no. just because of this. But, um, you know, generally, uh, most healthy folks can handle it and, uh, it seems to be effective. Two out of two people surveyed here say, give yes, it a shot. Two out of two people are very in favor, big time. <laughs> um, well, I want to give a couple of shout outs um, before we get to our trifecta, our regular sponsors. So big shout outs to the sweet folks at snowroast.com. If you want to use the code TAO, T-A-O, and the number 18, you'll get a discount on coffee. Sometimes they have chocolate in stock and a few other goodies. Check them out. They're really sweet people. I like them. So if you drink coffee, and I guess most of you guys do, give these guys a try. They support the Drunken Taoist. Um, that's always a sweet thing. So if you drink coffee, check these guys out first. Also, shout outs to... Um, this is actually more than a shout out. It's an announcement. In uh, It looks like in spring 2020, in April 2020, I'll be part of a tour with Geek Nation Tours Ooh. going to from Naples to Rome, exploring all sorts of gladiatorial sites and ancient Roman ruins and stuff like that. Should be fun if you guys checked out the Gladiator series on uh, History on Fire. That's basically what this is about. So I'll put a link in the episode notes. It's a long time away, but um, yeah, just check them out. Geek Nations Tour. I'll, uh, I'll put the link to this specific tour and if any of their other stuff interests you, that's cool. Might seem a long way away, but it'll be here before you know it. Most definitely. Uh, I always have them in the episode notes, but I rarely mention them. Aum, sellers. Uh, AUM, uh, they make amazing organic wines uh the good man just sent me a case of good stuff i've been happily sampling in the last few days if you guys dig organic wine this is the man to go to now they may even have run out of wine right now because they had sold so well and so i think they are on a waiting list kind of thing but check them out anyway whenever you have a chance if you dig organic wine he's the man and among the sweet people who sent us some products uh U.S. wellness meats. If you guys are not vegetarian, these guys may become your new best friends. Uh, the website is grasslandbeef.com. They mail anything from beef, bison, pork, seafood, poultry, the whole deal, packed in ice, so it arrives fresh and great. Bison, yum. Insanely good quality. So if you are a carnivore or an omnivore, uh, please do check them out. Um, 
really good quality. That's all I want to tell you right now. I'll tell you more about them in the future episodes, but I don't want to overwhelm you with too much stuff. So check them out if you eat meat, grasslandbeef.com. And of course, the usual trifecta of the sweet folks on it, that's Uzara Shore Design. You guys know the drill. Shore Design has the coolest, funkiest t-shirts on the planet. That's Usara with some amazing hemp gear, which I use for computer bags, backpacks, my wallet, my gi when I roll jujitsu. Just about everything I touch around me is That's Usara made. And on it products, we are recording just feet away from a collection of kettlebells that, I mean, on it, you guys know, they have, it's so hard to describe in a few words because they have supplements, they have special foods, they have workout equipment. In this case, we're staring at the workout equipment right next to us. The Iron Man is quite fantastic. Yeah, they are, they are very functional and they are pieces of art, the kettlebells. So if you use kettlebells on it, are the ones you want to get. You seem to have them wisely placed to avoid any sort of toe kettlebell Yeah, connection. that would be unpleasant. Hitting that 40-pounder probably yeah. would not be the greatest of moments. I saw a picture that Rogan posted where there's some poor guy in Northern Cal, his whole house burned down. But his and, kettlebells uh, were fine. And there are all the kettlebells lined up in the middle of the charred ruins and they perfectly survive and they are usable because they are... There's another guy that had a crazy story where his house burned down, but out by the pool was a cooler. Right. And um, it had survived, and there was still ice inside the cooler with cold beers. So uh, That's awesome. Some things are built to last. A tiny, teeny, tiny gift, I suppose. But yeah, impressive. Cool. With that being said, let's jump into the episode. Here we go. Cool, let's jump on in with Mr. Robert Drysdale. How are you, man? I'm doing great, Daniele. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's always fun. Uh, we hang out, what, a couple of times, having dinner at the Thai restaurant. Yes. That was always fun. Always good food. Yeah, that was great. We had great conversation, so at this time, might as well turn on the mic on, since all the conversation we had already would have been great podcasts. You guys missed, like, good podcasts. Yeah, I know, man. And good Thai food. So that was, a, that was a great combination. But, uh, well, there are 10,000 ways we can take it. But let's start with something. You are now working. uh, You have uh, been on several podcasts about it. You have been on websites on this. You're working right now on a jiu-jitsu documentary regarding the history of jiu-jitsu. Like, you got hot and heavy on uh, let's dig beneath the myth of what we have been told about jiu-jitsu history and what's the real deal. Yeah. what prompted? I mean, I know right now also you're in grad uh, school for history. You have a passion intellectually for that kind of a field. And then you combine it with your other passion for jujitsu and jumping into this. But what made you want to? Because, I mean, clearly it's a political hot mess, right? When you start messing with the sacred cows of the meats, the way they have been passed on, yeah. you step on dangerous territory. Yeah, I, I feel that way. I mean, I kind of had an idea that, you know, walking into this, this was going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. To be fair, I wasn't, you know, by no means the first person to get into this. There's There was some scholarly work on it. Not a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it all began when the Brazilian National Library digitized all their files in mm-hmm. 2013. 
up to then, you know, you had to go. I mean, you could physically be in the Brazilian National Library and go through the nose. But no one had done that. No, of course. Right. But with, you know, uh, um, with the search engine technology, like it made things a lot easier. So there are some people like Marcial Sejano um, and Pedrera primarily, like put a lot of good research out there. And, you know, those books got my mind going. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, to be fair, there were others that even prior to the national, the digitized, uh, digitizing of the National Library were doing research, but it was limited because of the sources. Right. right. Uh, and I fell in love with the story because it was exactly what I had suspect, suspected. Like when I when I hear the version of events or how things developed in Brazil, I, I, I tend to have a very skeptic mind. Like mm-hmm. I don't take I don't when people say something if they happen to benefit from what they're saying, I'm immediately suspicious. <laughs> right. Like if you told me like something like bad about yourself, hey, you know what? I stole something last yeah, week yeah, or something yeah. negative right. about yourself. Like, well, you got no reason to, to lie. Of course, like, it probably makes sense. But if you're something anything that pumps you or your friends up, yeah, I'm immediately suspicious. Yeah. And the history of the the, the, the development of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has uh, always sounded very suspicious to me. So I, um, I, I, I wanted to find out for myself. So reading some of this work, especially like Shocky by Roberto Pedrela, like it really inspired me to do some more research and like you know dig into myself. Mm-hmm. And I went to the Brazilian National, National Library myself. And I fell in love with what was there. Like, wow, this is a treasure trove of, like, jiu-jitsu history. And all these characters I had never heard of. Of course. Right? And they were very present. They were very uh, important developments of jiu-jitsu, but no one had ever heard of them. Now, of course, this challenges the official narrative. And if you really get down with it, the official narrative comes, all goes back to one person. Mm-hmm. Carlos was Gracie own testimony mm-hmm. it all goes back to him right so people are, this is what happened I'm like who said so oh so and so said so well who told them what well, carlos gracie did of course and if you read Hale's biography his daughter it's exactly what it is it's just family friends and family family members pretty much retelling a story especially that early uh, earlier yeah, period like a later period 1950s onwards you have other witnesses yeah, you have sure. a more balanced account so it's less controversial but those that initial phase like the first 30 years of the development of Brazilian jiu-jitsu yep. let's say they're very controversial if you don't once you don't have the facts. Once you know what's going on, they're less so. And and that's the period that I'm most interested in. Because what really interested me from the beginning was how why Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and why judo? Yeah. I've always had that question. Like, mm-hmm. oh, Jiu Jitsu was the killing art, judo was the sport, you know, educational art. Okay, that's too shallow. Yeah. That's a very superficial analysis yeah. of the differences of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Judo. Because when I look at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I see Judo with modified rules. Mm-hmm. Now, my Brazil, I'm, I'm from a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu background. I don't gain anything from saying this. It's really how I feel. My friends get mad at me. Oh, Jiu-Jitsu yeah. is way superior. I'm like, guys, we just modified the rules. Yeah. It's the same art. Of course. So when I'm, when I'm talking about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I'm talking about something that developed in Brazil through Judo. Yeah. Judo was the mothership. That is the matrix. Mm-hmm. And then we have a variant that we call Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, ironic, it shouldn't be called jiu-jitsu when you think about it, because the term jiu-jitsu means something, you know, very different. It's very specific to pre-Meiji Japan. Right. Pre-Kodokan, let's say. And, but we use the term, I think for marketing reasons, they use the term, because at the time, they use the terms judo and jiu-jitsu interchangeably. Yeah, that's kind of by way, early in the 1920s, they probably... It's like like saying nogi and grappling. Right. Or submission wrestling and nogi. Like, they meant the same thing. Just the term jiu-jitsu was more archaic versus the term judo was a modern term. Mm -hmm. That's the only difference. But Brazilians adopted it primarily through the Gracie family. And, you know, but to me, that's the interesting part of the story. It's how really we go from the early judokas teaching in Brazil mm-hmm. to what we call Brazilian jiu-jitsu today. Yeah, because you look at them today, today they look nothing alike. Yeah. Even though, I mean, the techniques are all there, but, yeah. you know, because of, as you said, the rules, yeah. you know, judo today has barely any groundwork and it's all throws with very limited grips and that's it. And yeah. jiu-jitsu is almost 
entirely ground game with very little emphasis on the they, takedown. They grew in different directions. And to me, the split, because mm-hmm. there's a there's there's a matrix, right? Yep. And there's this this split. Like, one sport goes one way, goes yep. the other. And I made the analogy within my head. I was thinking about this. It's kind of, I think, for similar reasons why, you know, back in the Cold War, the Soviet Union went, we are communists, and they fought for that term, and that term got demonized in the West. Sure. And, and you know, and on our end, it was the exact same. It was the mm-hmm. opposite. Like we're capitalists, and it got demonized yeah. in, in the Soviet Union. Uh, I think that judo and jujitsu, something similar happened, where it's like the people who are supporters of judo, which was the vast majority, they accepted the term judo, they embraced it, and they yeah. demonized. As jujitsu drifted away from it, they began to demonize that term. Mm-hmm. And the, the other camp did the exact same thing. Uh, but it was almost like the silent agreement that we're going to call themselves something differently because. This is my approach. This is how I see the events. They couldn't hang with the Japanese on their feet. Yeah, of course. And that's what it came <laughs> that's down the to. reality. Like every right. time they of competed course. in judo rules, yeah. which were the internationally yeah. accepted rules, then they get smoked. They got smoked, of course. So how are we? If we can't beat them at yeah. their rules, what do we do? Changing the rules. We change of course. the rules. Yes. of course. So they yeah. start modifying the rules. They modify yeah. the gi- the length of the gi. They modify the time limit. They right. are no points. Yeah. This whole submission only did not start now. This started right. way back then because they couldn't hang yep. with the Japanese. Of course. Um, and by and the way, just to throw that out there, judo does the same thing because, like, the way judo has evolved over the last few years, where they yeah. kind of eliminated all the more wrestling techniques. Yeah. Is because the Russians were kicking their ass. Were, exactly. and I was like, we are, we still want to win, so let's take out all it's the things exactly, that those guys do. It's exactly what's going on. Yeah. Like they are modifying the rules to suit their own preferences, yep. and this is where like your ego is getting in the way of the development of a martial art. Yep. And that shouldn't be the case. Like if someone walked into my gym and they did a submission I had never seen before, right, and they were killing me and my students with it, I wouldn't kick them out of the gym. I wouldn't say that submission is illegal. I'd be like, please teach me. Yep. Clearly, you know something I don't. You know, but that's, unfortunately, that was not the approach. Why do you think that's the case? Because, I mean, what you said makes perfect sense, right? It's like somebody bring new knowledge that troubles you because they catch you with it. But at the same time, it's like, hey, all it takes is me studying it a little and then I'll be better than I was before. it's never rocket science. Yeah, it's pretty. So in theory, that ego reaction of, oh, something that catches me, we need to make it illegal, that's just dumb. Why do you, is it just low IQ and bad ego on the part of I, most people? Or I think of in terms of like your gorilla brain taking over, right? Versus your better self, your I frontal see. lobes, and like you know that you're you're more like competitive self because it, once you're a school owner, and I say this with no shame, like sure. I'm a school owner, you become competitive not only in a technical realm, you start working on finances. Too. Yeah, you don't want to lose students, and this is every school. I'm not going to be a hypocrite and say that I don't want to lose students or. That I am happy about someone walking in my gym and beating out my students and myself. Of course, I, I'm a human. I'm have, I have an ego. What I don't, uh, what I don't like is allowing that to overcome your better senses and go. Okay, clearly this person has something to add. I really think it comes down to ego and money. Mm-hmm. I think this it's come down to economics. Like this yep. person is a threat right. to my style. I'll give you an example. In France, like the the, the judo federation has mm-hmm. a, a rap on the French government. Yep. Like your Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournaments in France, I, I don't know if they're still banned, but they were banned for years. Yep. And it has nothing to do with safety. Of course, judo is more dangerous. Of course, this is nonsense. Yep. The reason is they have a political rap on the on, on 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 the government. They have tons of government money coming into them. They don't want competition, of and course. they're going to lose a lot of students. They know they see Brazilian jiu-jitsu as a threat in France. Yep. So what do they do? Oh, it's it's banned. Yeah. But there's a demand. The demand is there. So what do they do? Oh, now we have Nawaza tournaments. It's basically Brazilian <laughs> it's Jiu-Jitsu Brazilian tournament. Jiu-Jitsu, but we'll now, call it's it. not a coincidence. Yeah, it's clearly, but it's them seeing the threat. And instead of like, okay, maybe we should put... maybe it, This is something that can go back all the way to Kodokan, if you yeah. ask me. Like, what do we do to make Judo more 
mm-hmm. more uh, um, assimilate more of its old techniques because none of it is new. Like yeah. we know that the judokas knew this, of course, uh, but it's it's been lost over time. It's funny. It just reminds me. Of, Probably my fa- one of my favorite interviews for the documentary was with Yuki Nakai in mm-hmm. Japan. Yep. Because Yuki Nakai is an interesting character because he represents that, you know, Japanese judoka, mm-hmm. sh- uh, you know, Kosen judo background, shudo fighter, specializes in Brazilian judo, loses to yeah. a Brazilian judo fighter, loses yeah. to Hickson, falls in love with the art, and then he imports it back to Japan, yep. right? So he is, the, listen to this, he's the president of the Japanese Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation. How cool is that? The Japanese Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation. Yes, it's great. And when I went to his gym, uh, we interviewed, and, and then um, one of the things that he said, and, I, and it really struck me, was that he was talking about what, how the Japanese felt about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. And he felt that the first thing they felt, I think it was three things. One of them was like first, it was surprise. They were not the whoa. I didn't know that the Brazilians mm-hmm. were because they saw it as judo. That's of what course. they saw. They just saw like you know, this yeah. is basically what we've always known. They saw it as a threat. These guys are really good. And then they realized it was kind of like this. It was almost like he said it with a little bit of, you know, maybe, um, I try to describe, but it's like what we had lost, mm-hmm. the nostalgia. Like we realized the treasure that we had that we had lost. Yeah. So, and it was such a beautiful interview. You know, I don't speak a word in Japanese. I'm reading the transcripts. But he, it was, it was, it was such an experience, you know, um, because I got to see that drift from mm-hmm. the Japanese, not, not just a technical one, but a cultural one as yeah. well that happened in Brazil. And up to then, that interview, just to finish my point, I had never liked the B in BJJ. Mm-hmm. I don't think nationalism belongs yeah. in, in sports. I think I love the fact that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has uh, its confinement between teams, not countries. Yeah. I think nationalism should stay away from our shorts, my personal approach. But today it's I'm not insisting. a very Brazilian approach because you no, see like... No, it's not, but exactly. I, I, don't, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I never liked no, it. Exactly. My friends always gave me shit for it because like, no, Robert, you have to be... No, yeah. And I never liked for that reason, but I insist on the beat, and I'll, I'll tell you why. When we went to the Kosen Judo gyms in, in, in Japan, all the black belts are showing up 30 minutes early. Mm-hmm. They're immaculately clean. They like it was like a symphony, man. They're sweeping the mats, and I have a video. Yeah. And they're sweeping the mats, like all of them, like just like in in in, a, in line. It was beautiful to watch. Thirty minutes early, and I'm like, this is nothing like. Home. Yeah, that's not <laughs> the way you are. So, yeah, <laughs> things run at home. And it, I actually sent a video to some of my students, like, this is what you guys yeah, should do. They're exactly. black girls, and they're sweeping the mats. <laughs> and then we go to Yukinakai's gym. It's Tokyo. Yeah. Same city. Same yeah. people. No one shows up on time. Everyone's like sitting on the mats with their legs spread open. They're taping their fingers. And, you know, everyone's laughing. And, yeah. and it's, it's a very relaxed environment. And yeah. like, man, this is Brazil. Yeah. And that's when it clicked. 20 years of jiu-jitsu. And it clicked when I was sitting in Yukinakai's gym in Japan that the B in, B in jiu-jitsu, the, the B in yeah. BJJ, belongs there because so much of Brazilian culture yeah. was absorbed by the world. And of people course. don't realize this. Of course. It's a surf, relaxed culture. And I think one reason why people fall in love with it is precisely because of that. And even in Japan, probably the most traditional people you mm-hmm. can think of, they have absorbed so much of Brazilian culture, like eating acai after practice. That's a Brazilian thing. Right, right, That's right. not Japanese. It's, yeah, of course. You know, so this is why I, 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 I'm, you know, more tolerant towards the B and BJJ these days. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it's, I mean, the, the whole, the whole judo versus jiu-jitsu thing sort of fascinated me. So I, I, and I've never been a good judoka for the matter. I've been a guard jumper my whole life. Later in life, I became more of a wrestler, if right. anything. But um, I, I, I think I think it's a fascinating story, and that's why we decided to do the film. Yeah, which in that sense is um, it's kind of a pity the way it is because it's when you look at what judo has to offer, when you look at what uh, submission grappling without gi has to offer, with, when you look at jujitsu, really should be one art. 
you yeah. know, where you should know how to do all of it. Yeah, it's like, why, you should know how to throw people. You yeah. should know how to use the GIF or takedowns. You should know how to not have throws that are dependent yeah. on the GIF or takedowns. You should know the ground. It's like, that's grappling. Yeah. That's what yeah. grappling is. Yeah. These, uh, and because when you look at all grappling systems, including the ones that have nothing to do with this genesis, you know, when you look at Greco-Roman or freestyle or catch or anything, it's like it's all the rules, as you say. It's yeah. like you specialize in one thing, you get rid of all the other stuff yeah. that doesn't benefit you. And it's grappling, but it's grappling with limitations. Yeah. And instead, to me, it's like the most comprehensive rule possible where you allow people to develop all the sides of grappling would be what from a non-specialist standpoint, from somebody who's not married to one style, who yeah. just want to, I want to learn grappling, right? That would be the way. It's yeah. like you should have on the menu all of the stuff, you know, and, and it's it's funny you say that, but it's they use a political card as the safety card. Mm-hmm. That's the one they play. Oh, it's not safe for heel hooks to be allowed. It's not safe, and I am telling you, as a practitioner, as mm-hmm. a coach, as someone who's refereed, been multiple ref. I most injuries don't come from submissions to right. begin with. They come from transitions, yep. takedowns, and transitions. Yep. And if you ask any grappler, he'll tell you the exact same thing. So when then people tell you that the reason why they're banning heel hooks or anything for that matter is because if for safety reasons. I don't buy it. Right. I do think it's, there's an argument because of the recovery time for a heel hook and a popped elbow. They're right. not the same. Of one course. of them will blow your knee. You're going to be out for six months at least. The other one is going to hurt for two weeks and you're, got, you're back on the mats after. Yeah. So I, that I think is an argument. As far as like the actual technique itself being, um, you know, uh, I, I don't think I don't think there's an argument there to say that, oh, the reason we don't allow this is because the technique is... Um, more per- the technique itself is more dangerous. Mm-hmm. I think the recovery time is an argument. Two different things as I see it. But I, I'm, I'm with you. I think that as far as efficiency goes, 100% should be assimilated, especially at the professional level. Yeah. I can see an argument there for like, okay, a mom and a, and a guy's an accountant, he's a lawyer, he doesn't want to blow his knee. Sure. Um, but I, I feel that IBJJF and some of the other federations have failed to assimilate some of the techniques that are efficient for jiu-jitsu. I think they'll be beneficial. I feel that judo made the same mistake yeah. early in the 1920s. So they went in a different direction. Yeah. And what happened was, I think at the end, judo was hurt mm-hmm. because they lost so much of what they had and or, or the potential what judo had. I, I'm with you. I think that a complete martial arts or a complete martial art or a complete grappling system would assimilate everything that works. The criteria shouldn't be pretty ugly. No. It shouldn't be new old. It shouldn't be, it should be, is, does it work? Exactly. That's the only relevant question. Exactly. If we're going to stick to the martial and martial yeah. art, does it work? And I feel that a lot of what's what's out there just simply is, you know, uh, too much, too many assumptions. People assume that this is not going to work. Yeah. Oh, this is going to hurt someone. This yeah. is a bad idea. And that's why it's, it, but there's no actual, there's no argument behind a lot of what they ban. And I think a lot of it is how you train because the same exact technique, I mean, most people I know, for example, when they know that I'm training judo these days, I'm like, judo really is like, to me, it's like, if you don't learn it as a kid, are you crazy learning it later in life? Because you do take a lot of abuse if you get... But even then, it's how you train, right? If you train full-on randori where you get slammed into the mat every night, yeah, it's not going to feel very good. But there are other ways to do it. You know, there are ways where you're mainly working entries. You're working entry, kudzushi, you start, and then if you get the takedown, you get the takedown. But once you have him, you don't need to slam the guy. Like that's for, if you are competing at professional level, sure, then you go to that point. But for the average person or even low-level competitors, you can do so much more in uh, without, same thing like what you said about heel hooks. I don't think I've ever hurt anybody with a heel hook. I've applied them every single time I've rolled ever. Yeah. 
and it's because you're not a dick and you don't crank yeah, it, yeah, you know, and yeah. if the guy doesn't tap, yeah. who cares? I'm not yeah. trying to murder. And I think part of it is what you say is the ego, the competition, the yeah. people who are going nuts for, I need to get the gold medal. And so they are not going to tap when they should. Somebody like to me, I would rather have way more permissive rules and have uh, well, I mean, the reality is, it would uh, in an ideal world, it would be that both people are responsible, and it's yeah. like, hey, you caught me, tap tap, okay, good job. Maybe I could have got out of it, but we, you know, I want to walk tomorrow, so yeah. let's not. Or even, but that of course is giving probably too much power to the ref for the ref to call it. That if you are caught yeah. deep into a submission, it, maybe you get it's, out. It's difficult because you know how do you find a balance between a sport and a martial art? Of course, and it's it's a discussion. That's I've the had problem. this discussion with Jeff more times than I can count. And I, I, I see why they do the things they do. Like, I have my disagreements, but I think there's, for example, there are things that make sense. I'll give you an example. Knee bars are illegal for white belts. Why? Oh, they're dangerous. Why? How is it more dangerous than mm-hmm. a takedown? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so I, it, it's stuff that they have made illegal without any argument to back yeah. it up. It's just because it's always been illegal, so it must yeah. be the way it is. So those people thought it was illegal, so clearly it's the best answer. Mm-hmm. It's the best solution to the problem. And I, I don't think a, leg, a knee bar is more or less dangerous than an arm bar. Yeah, of course. You know, I, I think with, with, with the heel hook, I could see the recovery time being yeah. a problem. But other than that, like, it's, you know, as long as both parties are reasonable, like yeah. you're describing, you're fine. And the other thing is, I don't have to have a heel hook to be a dick. Mm-hmm. I can knee you in the head, I can elbow you in the head, I can headbutt. If we're talking about not sure. controlling your emotions during Absolutely. a round, and I don't need a submission for that matter, I can just punch you in the face. Yep. If I'm going to lose control like that, right? So there's a lot more going on in, in, in grappling. And for growth purposes, and maybe why judo went in that direction, mm-hmm. I understand why they do what they do. And I think ultimately it comes down to business, it sure. comes down to economics. And you know, and there's the inside the gym. There's the ego factor. Yep. Whatever I'm not good at, let's ban it. Yes, right. You know what's funny about students? And I've been coached for a long time. People always hate what they're not good at. Of course. Have you ever seen anyone that says, "Oh, I'm really good at takedowns," and I hate them? Yeah, yeah. No, of course, no. Because no, you, you like love, it. Exactly. Makes you feel good, right? You know, so, so what's going on here? Is this about growth? Is this about improvement? Or is this about suiting your ego? Like you just like really just feeling good about yourself. And I, I and I know how you feel about this because I, I read your book. Martial arts is not about feeling good. Mm-hmm. Martial arts is about getting your ass kicked. Right. You know, the second you start like looking at martial arts as a way of feeling good about yourself, man, I tell my students all the time, you want to feel good about yourself, go on Facebook, write a motivational quote, Google a quote, right. you don't have to read the author, yeah. you don't have to know who he is, just put it on there and you get lots of applauses. But if you're going to go to the gym, you're going to get your ass kicked. Yeah. So that's the thing. And I think... You know, I want to go back then to the history and some of your findings. But before that, I like this tangent where we're going, like that the aspect of ego and which in some way, even what you are saying about nationalism ties into it because it's about this sense of identity, this yeah. sense of who in nationalism is who we are versus ego that is who I am. But yeah. the mechanism is the same. There's this sense of defensiveness built over a sense of identity that you have built for yourself and you don't want anything that challenges which is bullshit because the reality both when it comes to things like nationalism as well as it come on a personal level is that what we perceive as things that challenge us the reality is half of the time is stuff that you can learn and get better for it you know where you're not this is not a challenge to the core of who you are. This is an opportunity for you yeah. to expand the core of yeah. who you are. So I don't really, I mean, I get it and I don't because it seemed like we all have egos. I understand. We all like to be pat on the back and told we're great. I get it. 
but is one is shorter amigo is like because ultimately if when you learn something new the odds are better that down the road people will pat you on the back and say how yeah. good you are because yeah. you just became better instead in the name of a short term ego is like i'm not going to get better and i'm going to deny the reality of what you're showing to me because it messes with my current ego it, it has to do with how willing you are to embrace what what is your ultimate goal yeah you know and i i think that once you have growth in sight and not the reward the sky's the limit mm-hmm. You know, I think that a lot of people when they, they pursue martial arts, they're not worried about growth. They're worried about the belt, the yeah, medal, of course. the recognition. I have students of mine that are more worried about their haircut than they are about the jiu-jitsu. <laughs> but they're posting for, for every training session, they post three times. Right. So it's like they, they it's more about the approval, right. the social approval, than it is about improvement. Yeah. And when I see that, and I, it's always disappointing because I see potential, but like this person is not even willing to look at his potential. But you the know, thing, it's like right. completely unaware of where, how far you can make it. And I think that's what drives me crazy is that, okay, let's, I understand you want social approval. I'm not judging that in an, like we all do, right? We all like it. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't it more make more sense to do things that lead to you becoming a better human being, which will give you more social approval rather than chase it here and now desperately trying to weed out everything that doesn't fit this artificial picture you're trying to create. I mean, it seemed like. Like, again, I'm not against ego in the abstract. I just find short-term, uh, narrow-minded ego it's, to be It's stupid. very short-sighted. Yeah. I, I, I split the word ego into. We use the same word. Yeah. I've always thought that the word ego, really, we need to have another word. Because ego, to me, when it's externalized, it sounds mm-hmm. very bad. Like, if I, you beat my ass on the mats, and I blame you, I right. blame the weather, I blame the world, my girlfriend, <laughs> the rules, the referee, everyone's to blame, right. except of course. the person was 99.9% responsible for yeah. your loss. Um, I, I, when I see, you know, ego, I, I've ha- I have a massive ego, but I, one thing to my, I was never like the best athlete or the most intelligent or the most talented, but from a very young age, I understood this, that if I lost, it was my fault. Mm-hmm. You know, I internalized it. To me, when I, I got tapped on the mats, it was always me. And sometimes the referee fucked up. Sure. It but I, it, it didn't, it really like, it wasn't like I went home complaining. I'm not, I can't control what the referee yeah. does. It is not my responsibility what the referee is doing. What I do, mm-hmm. how I prepare and how I perform on the mats is entirely my responsibility. So I think martial arts is about looking for that sense of accountability, like it's my fault. Yeah. And once you do that, you actually grow because now you're putting the energy in the right place, right? The energy yeah. is not deflected. It's it's, it's channeled. Right? And, and I think I try to teach this lesson to my students. It's very difficult, especially in the social media generation where people just want the approval. It's the constant pursuit of the, the, the approval and the pat on the back. And, and I just wish they embraced that, that, that grind, man, that, that yeah. struggle. That's, that's the true treasure. It's, it is the struggle. Mm-hmm. In that sense, when you say we should have, because I completely agree when you say we need more than one word because yeah. there's uh, ego is not one thing. Like yeah. we use the same word to mean, what do you think are like, we clearly identified the low level, narrow minded, petty ego, the yeah. negative side yeah. of it. What other sides do you see to that term, to the concept? I, I have a friend of mine, we had this conversation with a friend of mine a while ago, and he was, he, he, he read an interview with a very famous boxing coach. Mm-hmm. And the guy had trained like multiple boxing world champs. I can't remember his name now. But a reporter asked him, what's the main quality? What is a common thread that all these champions had? And he gave it some thought, and he goes, ego. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about the good ego. Yeah, exactly. He's not talking about the bad ego. Yeah. This guy's a megalomaniac. He's talking about this guy's obsessed with perfection. 
And and it's what every successful person I know, and I've met a lot of successful people, not only in martial arts, but in other yep. realms of life, and they all have that one common thread. They have a massive ego, but it's internalized. Yep. It's the pain that they directed themselves as a channel to mm-hmm. succeed. I always remember, man, this is, I says, I'm on a flight. I don't remember where. Have you ever seen that movie Rush? I always remember this this film, whenever yeah, I think about yeah. this. It's about two F1 drivers, and they're very, they're both champions, but mm-hmm. they're very different champions. And there's one guy who's like the brainiac, uh, Nicky Lauda. And he's like, he, he's like, fi- finally the love of his life. He's married, mm-hmm. he's happy, you know, and then he's staring at the fire, and it's a very symbolic scene. He's staring at the fire, and, you know, his wife comes over, and he's just like staring at the fire, and he goes, Happiness is the enemy. Jesus. <laughs> and then, fuck, it struck me, man. Wow. As soon as he said that, I'm like, he's right. Whoever wrote that film right. is brilliant because yeah. he hit the nail on the head. Happiness is the enemy. Because the second you're happy with who you are, that's a great place to be. But you're done. There's no growth when you're happy with where you stand on the mats. I'm right. okay with getting tapped only once. Yeah, or yeah. I'm okay with only tapping you 20 times. Of course. When the second you say that, you're no longer growing. And I think that's a very interesting point because there's an extremely fine line. Like there are two ways to fuck it up and they are both big and broad. And there's one very narrow way not to. Because, of course, if you are happy-go-lucky, lazy bastard who doesn't get their act together, that applies to the mat, that applies to life. It's sweet. There's something adorable about it. But at the same time, is yeah, you're never going to live to your potential. That's a problem. The other one is the super obsessed, stay up till four in the morning, destroy the rest of your life in the name of the pursuit of perception. It's awesome in its own way. There's something powerful about it, but you're a psycho. That doesn't make for a good life. The narrow path where you are able to pat yourself on the back to say, man, I have a good life, and now I'm going to work like a dog to get better. That's a that's a very difficult place. I I I know we read a lot of the same authors, but I I've always contrasted Schopenhauer and Nietzsche uh-huh. for that very reason because they have very different. Their subject of uh, is the same as the will. Yeah. But Schopenhauer sees it as a curse. Yeah. This is something that's gonna make you. He's like very. He's like more in tune with Eastern philosophies of detachment. Right. Yeah. Don't 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 let your will guide your uh-huh. life. Like will is something you should keep you know, under control and look at other ways of pleasing yourself. Whereas Nietzsche's like, no, that's who you are. Yeah, you yeah, are an animal. Course. You embrace it and you run with it yeah. and that's what's going to make you great. But as a result, Nietzsche was a miserable human being. Of he course. was probably the most unhappiest person who's ever walked the earth, but he could write like a god. Absolutely. Oh my God, you can read that guy and go, wow, if I could just write half that well, yeah. I'd be so, I feel so good about yeah. myself. But, there is this, you're right, like, you know, you find this balance between, you know, uh, happiness and, you know, embracing who you really are. And where does it end? Yeah. I, I, I feel in some ways, I feel like that. Like, am I ever going to feel like I'm accomplished or am I going to feel like peaceful inside? And in a way, I want that. But on the other hand, it's like, well, that's not who I am. I want to run for, I'm, I'm constantly trying to get something. But I, I think that's, that is, there's something good about that. But you're right. There has to be a balance and find yep. that line where you can actually pat yourself on the back, not the yep. world, yourself, yep. and go, good job, Robert. Absolutely. Because otherwise, yeah, one without the other sucks. You know, yeah. one is you're an adorable fuck-up who never gets anything done in their life. The other one, you are an obsessive genius who's a complete psycho in life. Yeah. And it's like, neither one is a good way to live. Yeah. There's a very, which is kind of like a theme for me because a lot of, for me, is about Taoism, is about balance, right? It's yeah. about kind of like you want the best of these and the best of that in the one perfect spot where they, where it flows, where yeah. it works well, you know? Of course, easier said than done. At yeah. the same time, and I think that's part of the problem that a lot of the times we get these things where is, uh, you can have these or that. That to me is a trap. 
Right. When you're put yeah. in front of a binary choice, it's always a bad idea because yeah. usually there's something awesome in both. Yeah. And if you ask me to choose just one, do I want to have a happy, mediocre life or do I want to be miserable and do something amazing? Yeah. I don't want either of that. That sucks. I want to be something <laughs> like, amazing and be happy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, the best <laughs> but then even then, it's like if you have that personality, yeah. you'll do something amazing yeah. and you'll be like, not enough. No, I need to go. You know, it's a very, You're right. It's a very difficult balance. And I think that's what, what life is about, is finding the balance between mm-hmm. the things you do. And we're all different. You know, your balance may not be my mm-hmm. balance. Of my course. balance may, may, might be more to the right or the left and, of course. and vice versa. But if I think it's discovering what that balance is, you know, is the key. The one thing that we can all agree on is that you're—it's a non-stop struggle to yep. find that balance. Absolutely, and, and I think that the second you get idle or content or go, you know, I, I'm go—you go, I mean content in the sense where like I have mastered this or mm-hmm. good, this is exactly where I want to be. I think that that's when you fall off balance. Yes, yeah, of course. And I think it's a constant pursuit of balance, and we could live 500 years and still be looking for that ideal spot. I, I agree completely, and it changes. You know, you may have it for a while. Yeah. But inevitably, as things around you change, as you change, uh, that balance is will work for that day, week, month, year. It's not going to be a, if you try to apply the same model three years later, it may not work. Yeah. And it may lead to stasis. Well, and, and so you have to rediscover you, it constantly. As you mature, you know, yeah. like, you know, I, I will say this, and I, I've said this in interview, interviews before. When I was 20, had you asked me, Robert, you have a superpower now. And you can change the world and end world hunger mm-hmm. and make the world a fair place for all eternity. Or <laughs> <laughs> somehow I get the feeling that the second you win one. a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world championship. Yeah. Selfishly, I probably would have chosen a world title. And, and I would have I've been like, hell yeah, of course. I look back and then I'm ashamed of the decision I would have made. Today, I see there are four more important things. But when you're 20, yeah, 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 there's nothing else but that metal. And know? I think, by the way, that's uh, for you guys, in case you're wondering why there's still war danger. Uh, it's because a genie did appear to Robert. He had the option <laughs> and he chose, I want to tap out Marcelo Garcia yeah. and win Abu Dhabi. And he's yeah. like, okay, delivered. Yeah. You can do it. Accomplished. Yeah. But no, it's, it's true. Like you... You know, you go through this egotistical phase in life, and I think as you mature, you, you start seeing the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. I really, I, I my 20-year-old self would be super ashamed of what I'm about to say, but I see martial arts as a school for life today mm-hmm. far beyond medals and accomplishments. Whereas before <laughs> it was a means to something. Of course. Now I see jiu-jitsu as an, as a, as an end in itself. Right. It is appreciation of an art for what it is versus a vehicle to soothe my eagle. Mm-hmm. My, my, and then, and then that's, I think that's something that I had matured towards. And I see how the impact it has had in people's lives and how much it betters and how happy they yeah. are for just showing up at my gym. I'm like, hey, man, I'm actually doing something here. Yeah. That's my pat on the back, I guess. Like, right. well, I'm actually doing something here because this person was, you know, overweight. He was yeah. depressed. He had, you know, a- uh, autism. Or I, I've seen Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu help people. I've seen yeah. martial arts help people and improve on them. So I, I see that value will be on the medal, which really Absolutely. is about, you know, about your own. Ego in the bad way, I guess. It's not necessarily improving on you as a human being. Just because you're winning doesn't mean you're improving. Of course, of course. At the same time, I think that puts you in a pretty sweet spot because you have the spot of having gone, hey, who on Abu Dhabi? Oh, yeah, that was me. Who tapped out Marcelo Gert? That was me. And then there you have it for the rest of your life. And now, you know, you you have checked that box. Yeah. It's like, yeah, now I can do other stuff with my life. Yeah, it's, sure. Maybe I'm in a privileged position because I did the things that I want to do. I, you know, yeah. minus the UFC belt, I never won. I, I did all the, I accomplished all the things I wanted to accomplish. So maybe had I not done that, I would not be saying this now. Yeah. I'm in a very different spot. But 
at the end of the day, man, it really is overrated. Mm-hmm. What do you take from it? And I, I, one of my favorite quotes is, you know, my motto, I guess, is like, hard work is a reward. Mm-hmm. When I look up at my best memories, you know, coming up, it had nothing to do with the podium. Right. It had nothing to do with having my hand raised. Although having your hand raised is an amazing thing <laughs> sure. you can't describe. <laughs> I compare it to, like, there's some things in life you can't describe, like holding your child. Right. You, know, it's like it's, you can't describe it. It's, that's where having your hand raised is. But my best memories were me and my friends traveling in a van. Right. To, you know, God knows where to compete some small tournament that no one cared about. Yeah. And we're just like laughing our asses off and sleeping on the mats and, you know, just being dudes. You're just farting in the van and <laughs> laughing and making fun of each other. And those are really my best memories. That is my treasure. I couldn't find my ADCC trophy for like six, seven years. I didn't know what it was. It's a true story. I, I, actually, I was actually I was going through a divorce, and then I was going through the garage grabbing my stuff, and I found like it was like in some box in the garage. You're like, hey, nice. like, this is actually an important trophy. Yeah, I should probably I be should proud of this, but I completely yeah. forgot it existed because I was so focused on other things. Of course. Um, yeah, I actually, you know, I think people shouldn't dwell on the past or the future. No, you know, no, I, I try to live in the moment. It's not always easy, but it's a good way to yeah. it's a good way to yeah. do it. But okay, so back to the history. So you found, uh, um, what did you find? Like, because the traditional story, of course, is the um, Japanese guys, Maeda in specific, coming to Brazil, teaching uh, this art to the Gracie family. They run with it and they develop it into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. We now are getting the picture that that's a monstrously oversimplified version of what yeah. really happened. And oversimplified is being generous because, yeah. in some cases, not really accurate, yeah. period. What are the key things that you found that made you go, oh, damn, this is way different than what I imagined? <sighs> Well, reading Shockey by Pedrera was definitely the, the first one. I, um, it was close to what I had suspected it was going to be, and mm-hmm. it, was, it was an important marketing scheme. And I want to say important is, like, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. I don't think when I look at some of those actions, like, I can't see myself doing this. Sure. I would have been the other guy. But at the same time, it was super important for development of the art. Yeah. But, like, for example... Um, you know, the lineage thing is, I pers- for practical purposes, it's not really relevant. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I've had multiple teachers in my life. Sometimes my best teachers were my students right. in some ways. But when you start to talk about lineage, you're talking about the person who, you know, in theory, allegedly, or, you know, in th- taught you everything you know. When in reality, we know it's not that yeah. way. Or the person who promoted you to black belt. You might have known the person for two weeks and they promote you to black belt. Sure. But that counts as your lineage, right? Yeah. But the lineage, the correct lineage of Jiu-Jitsu should go Jigoro Kano. If Jigoro Kano was... In, you might have taught Maeda a few times, sure. but like Tomita should be credited with being Maeda's teacher. teacher I mean, probably right. had others, but yeah. it would be Tomita Maeda. And after Maeda, the, the, the thing about Maeda is his role, because of his fame, it was it's grossly exaggerated mm-hmm. uh, because of his name, right? His name carried a lot of weight in yeah. the press. Everyone wanted to be associated with him. Of it course. wasn't just Carlos Gracie. It was everyone because who he was. But if you look at the sources, if you look at when Maeda settles in Belém do Pará, he's barely teaching. He's like, he, he, you'll find more... You find him moving towards more of a socialite, you know, like dealing, like helping with Japanese immigration. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, he's practically retired. Yeah. He did have students. Ironically, the students that are constantly meshing in, 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 in relation to Maeda, or, or, or Carlos is not one of them. Right. So did Carlos have a relationship with Maeda? My opinion, not this is not factual, sure. this is my opinion. I think he did. Although it's grossly exaggerated. I think he was like a 13, 14-year-old kid in the gym. Right. And he might have seen him a few times. Maybe yeah. A few <laughs> times. Like but you can see from the sources that the person who was present teaching and representing, filling in my other shoes as my other gets older, is Jacinto Fell. Mm-hmm. Now, Jacinto Fell took the credit because he's Brazilian. 
you know, he's a stark skinned Brazilian. Like this, you, 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 when, when, when Carlos goes to Sao Paulo in Rio, you can't say, I'm the student of Jacinto Ferro. That doesn't fly, man. Yeah. And I get why he did it. Yeah. Like, I, maybe I would have done the same thing in that situation, you know? Doesn't sound good, it right? Like, who cares? Yeah. Who's Jacinto yeah. Ferro? Like, yeah. he was actually a famous athlete in Belém do Pará, but when you say Konji Koma, Matsui Maeda, the ja- Japanese world champion from Kodokan. Yeah, like it sounds a lot cooler. So much of more weight. Yeah. So I understand why he did it. Was the relationship exaggerated? Like, I have no doubts it was sure. exaggerated. Uh, was it real? I think it was somewhat real, but it was more. You can see, look, the only reference we have in the Brazilian National Library of a Gracie trained in that period, I send you the article. Uh, Jacinto Ferro was referenced as being Oscar Gracie's coach. And we don't know who Oscar Gracie is. There was Probably not, right. Carlos. Yeah. It's, it's a typo. It's a, yeah. you know, it's a journalistic mistake. But uh, editorial mistake. But he, uh, uh, Carlos is, uh, uh, Oscar Gracie is in there as a student of Jacinto Ferro, mm-hmm. which is very relevant to our story because it's the only reference of a Gracie chain. Yeah. And, and Maeda's present at the event as sure. a referee. He's just watching his refereeing or judging the event. But um, Jacinto Ferro was the one who was mentioned as being the Gracie's instructor. Right. Uh, so it starts with the lineage. There are other things, like, for example, the founding of the Gracie Academy in 1925 is, doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Like, if you, if you look at the, until they stay in the Gracie Academy, they use that 1925 date. It's incorrect. There's no academy in 1925. Now, was Carlos training in his garage with his brothers? Sure. I think that's possible. I wouldn't call that an academy. Right, of course. You know, so, yeah. but the actual academy was founded by Donato Pires Reis, who was Oscar Gracie's opponent during mm-hmm. that event in 1930. Carlos was an assistant instructor to Donato Pires Jose. So we see Carlos having other people as his instructors, but mm-hmm. they happen to be Brazilian. Yeah. So we see Jacinto Ferro as a role as his instructor. We see Donato Pires Jose, maybe not an instructor, coach, teacher, but at least a senior. Yeah, of course. Because like when he interacts with Carlos, he's always in a, um, in, in, in a higher rank. He's, mm-hmm. always, he's always the instructor. Carlos is the assistant. Yeah. Possibly Gio Mori, who is a Kodokan uh, uh, student as well. But even though they have a fallout, so you know, Carlos could have potentially claimed a lineage under Joe Amori, but he didn't do it because they later fight. Of course. Whereas Maida never mentioned Carlos's name, he right? No, he never said a word about Carlos, and Carlos never backed up his claim yeah. of being a Maida student. So everything just got left at that. But you see, Carlos Gracie having other teachers outside of Maida, even though Maida got all the credit, and he's probably the one who taught him the least. Yeah. And I think that's what's fascinating about stuff like this, because we're looking at modern history. Yeah. We're looking at the last hundred years, not even. Yeah. And the funny thing about it is that even in the last hundred years in literate society where there are people writing, where there are documents, we see how history is largely invented. Yeah. Where as things develop, things in people embellish for their own, oh, this is going to sound a lot cooler for marketing, for many different purposes, right? So... That kind of, in some way, when you look at history, it puts things in perspective when you're trying to figure out what uh, really happened in the past. When you go back, not a hundred years ago in Brazil, but when you go like 400 years ago somewhere else where there are no sources, what is real? Yeah. Of the stuff that we hear, how much of it is myth Further and how back much is go, reality? The less you know, the more sacred it is too, ironically. Of course. Yeah. And people <laughs> yeah. get really... And the reality, when you look at the evidence, is that is. Thin is being generous yeah. for most of human yeah. history. I mean, most of human history, we have nothing, right? Yeah. So it's like it's completely silent. But even the stuff that supposedly we know about is like... It's so thin. Our... And people get set on it. It's, it's, of course. It's very ironic. It reminds me of that Napoleon quote, like, history is the series of lies that we decide to, to agree, agree upon. upon. Yeah. Totally. I mean, it's it, like... It, it really is. And I think that even, even like, now now we record everything. Yeah. I mean, you go to the bathroom, you record it. Of you course. eat, like, of meal, course. you record it. Everything is recorded. I even now there's so much fake news and nonsense oh, out yeah. there 
could we use social media or the news today as a reference for future historians 100 years from now? My take on it, I think it's even worse. Right. Because now people are straight up just making stuff of course, up. Of course. And that has the world we live in. So history is such this difficult, complex discipline. It is. And I'm not a relativist by any means in the sense where I'm going to say you can't find out the facts. No, I think that we can get the sure, facts. Sure, sure. There's certain things that we can know yeah. with certainty. But it, it, it's some facts become difficult to interpret because, you know, people are biased. I'm very suspicious towards oral tradition. Mm-hmm. I think that's not a popular position among some scholars. But no, I get I, it. I, people lie. We yeah. interview some of these of grandmasters, right? And you can see them change. They say the exact opposite 40 years ago. Right, now right. This, it's, it's like their opinion and position is changing according to circumstances that suit them. Yeah. So if that is the case, I'm immediately suspicious because they benefit from it emotionally, financially, politically, yeah. socially, whatever the case. I don't, I, whenever I hear that, I'm always, all right, man, is this guy telling me the truth? You know, and there's so much of that in history, yep. especially oral tradition. So you got to be careful. Right. Um, but it's, it's, um, well, we try. No, and I think we, it's, we uh, and I, I think it's ultimately it's the best you can do, right? Yeah. It's like, but I think it's important to be able to remember that the line between history and myth is always so thin that don't let's not get overly attached to calling it history maybe there's a possibility that this is what we know but i mean if you look at even like for example the birth of most uh, modern religions that are still practiced today nobody knows what really happened i mean when you go in like uh, was uh, buddha or jesus or some of these guys were they actual historical figures we don't even know it's anybody's guess you know the evidence is so ridiculously thin that is like Come on, man. That's yeah. like a Spider-Man comic, pretty much. The yeah, evidence, yeah. You know? it, it, it's like... it's, but it, it's the older it gets, the more sacred. I think, but we have this this appreciation for the ancient as holy. Absolutely. Because so many generations have proved that it must be true. Exactly. It's, it's, I, I, I call it fashion. It's old-fashioned. You're following the, the lead of the herd. And if everyone has been believing this for 1,000 years, clearly it must be, it true. Must be true. Which is funny because in some ways a sign of... Uh, lacking confidence in ideas the rather than backing them up because no i don't believe it because buddha said it i believe it because it fucking works in my life that's a great yeah. idea that's a good yeah, concept exactly. was did anybody was this indian dude in the mountains who the road. hell knows yeah. and it's not really that yeah. important i mean that's fun for storytelling but it's not yeah. and instead this desire to appeal to some authority in this case authority through time you know if yeah. people have held it through for so long it must be the real thing to me, it's a sign of insecurity. Yeah. It's a sign that you don't really and, and you don't believe appreciate the idea. Yeah, because if you read the Sermon of the Mountain, it is beautiful for what it is. Exactly. I don't care who said it's it. Like, exactly. I don't care who said it. It's totally. absolutely beautiful. Yep. And what a way to live your life. Yep. Like yep. I can yep. read that thing over and over and over, and like I can use that as a template for my life. Absolutely. Now, does that really? I mean, does the person? Is, that, is it important if Daniele Bolelli said right, it, exactly. or Robert Drives? Or like, who cares who said it? As That's... long as you actually apply it to your life and actually do something good with it, I, I I'm with you. But yeah, you see that a lot in history of martial arts. Yeah, like there's a lot of this. <gasps> so like you know, Maeda man, he was a party animal. <laughs> well, he was. Like one of my favorite stories was we interviewed like um, um, this. Uh, he's the head of the the. Japanese cultural center right. of the Amazon, and he was good friends with a with a man who was good friends with Maeda. He would always tell the story, and he would laugh 
that Maeda loved to gamble. Right. Loved to gamble. And he was a hothead. He was yeah. the nicest guy in the world, but whenever he lost, he, he would lose and he'd go get more money and come back. So he right. sounds like a gambling addict. Like he, he could not live in Vegas, put yeah. it like that. Right. But it just painted Maeda with this human face. And I was laughing. Of course. I was really telling, telling us about Maeda. Because, you know, you put these guys on pedestals. This guy was different. This guy was truly sad. Yeah. It's like, no, man, he was human just like you. In fact, if you met your heroes, you would probably be disappointed. But I mean, even that, I think, is because people want this artificial and ultimately fake image of perfection. Yeah. To me, it's like everybody has got their own issues. Everybody snap at the wrong time. Everybody does things that are... The point is, of course, there are lines you don't cross. You know, it's different if you are oh, a little bit of a hothead with some minor weird flow versus, you know, you beat your children bloody. Okay, those are two different things, right? One is a minor flow that makes you human. One is you're an asshole. Yeah. But once we establish that everybody's got their minor flows and whatever, to me, it's like that's what makes it... That's what even makes it special in some way. Yeah. That's what makes it yeah. real. That's where I, I, you know, I don't need Maeda to be this holy exactly. individual. The of fact course. that he would drink and gamble yeah. makes him like, okay, he's human. Like exactly. I can actually because now I can believe the character. Absolutely. Because you paint him with a human face and he's not supernatural. Yep. And now and the same thing as you go to Okanum, and the, what I got is there's a book by Pedro I'll call Craze, and it's about the history of jujitsu prior to Kodokan, mm-hmm. right? So it talks about the birth of Kodokan. Jigoro Kano comes across as a very shrewd politician, mm-hmm. like a highly intelligent, knew how to navigate the new world that was created, the new Meiji Japan, and and he just he knew the ins and outs of the political yep. world more than a martial arts genius, more yeah, than yeah, a political genius than a martial arts. That's what came across to me, but that doesn't make me like I don't think less of Jigoro no, Kano because of, of that. I'm like okay, he was a good politician. And he did what he did. It's the same thing with even like certain things about Helio that I don't like. Sure, Helio was a very militant, when I say this, I mean militant in the more like militaristic sense yeah. of the word kind of character. Very strong-willed, stubborn. There's one of my favorite quotes in, in the, the interviews we did with Hobson Gracie, which is the patriarch of the, the Gracie family. He said, like, you know what Helio would tell us? And he would scream. It's like, I never read a book, and I would never read one. Wow. And he was proud of it. Wow. And it goes, it paints the character. Yeah. Okay? So he's a very strong-willed, stubborn individual. I actually believe that was single-handedly the most important important element to allowing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to survive outside Olympic Judo. Sure. It was his stubbornness. Like, yeah. I'm not doing that. Because like, Carlos at that stage, you can see him being more of an esoteric, yeah. diet-oriented guy. Yeah. He's less involved with Jiu-Jitsu. He becomes that soldier. He's like, no, I will, like, yeah. this is not what we're doing. We're going to do this. And we have Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I think, largely because of him. I, I wouldn't sure. call him the creator of Brazilian no, Jiu-Jitsu. No, of course not. But I think that he was probably lead the lead figure, if Play anything. a key role in Absolutely. shaping the... And I don't course. like that, yeah. but I can appreciate it. I'm like, man, like stubbornness will get you somewhere, oh, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, There's you something know, like, There's to... something to be said yeah. there. Like, although like, I don't like people like that. Like, if yeah. I were around Helio, I couldn't think I could be around the guy more than five minutes. Right, of course. But, you know, I, I give him props for being so stubborn because, hey, got me a job. <laughs> you know, I'm doing what I love. You know, in some ways, not I will yeah. I will not give Helio exclusive credit here. I think that'd be absurd. Of course. But, man... <laughs> You know, I, I like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu more than Judo. Of course. <laughs> so, Julio was right in that regard, you know, for being stubborn. Speaking of uh, got me a job, what are you doing these days? Man, well, I'm of course, teaching. Bread thin, man. I teach every day yeah. uh, at Drysdale Jiu-Jitsu in Las Vegas. Um, we also run an affiliation worldwide team called Zenith BJJ. Um, I am working on this documentary, which turns out to be a lot more work than I ever thought it was going to be. I am at UNLV pursuing my master's. Um... I am involved in a couple of different companies, businesses outside 
of um, of jujitsu really. Uh-huh. I'm trying to get them off the ground, growing. What else? I got kids. Um, trying to make time for myself every now and then. I don't play video games. Put it like that. So you got nothing to do, basically. I got nothing. You lazy bastard. It's my days are long. You yeah. know, it's funny that I, I, I kind of I complain all the time. People that know me, like, it's half my time. If you're talking to me, half the time I'm complaining about how stressed <laughs> I am. But I do it to myself. Like, yeah, I can't course. see an opportunity to do something and not jump at it. Right. I, I enjoy being busy. I think it's my way of dealing with the world is everyone has their drug. Yeah. I don't do drugs. I very rarely smoke. Weed. Right. Very, I don't drink often. Yeah. I don't, I've never done prescription drugs, street drugs. I'm a very clean individual like that. I think everyone has their advice. My advice is just staying busy and working and trying to do something different every day. And my motivation really is, because I've given this a lot of thought, like, why am I doing this? Yeah. And it goes, it's just personal growth. Like, I enjoy the fact that I'm making progress in different mm-hmm. realms of, of, of my life versus just, I would not be complete if I only did jiu-jitsu. If I had only one jiu-jitsu titles, I would not. I yeah. would be 50, 60, look back, and I go, like, man, I could have done more. Yeah. But it's um I, I yeah I stay busy man I, I like and I got other projects too I get like a, like an idea per day. No, and it's, I sometimes feel the same way. Like when I get a new idea, sometimes I'm like, Jesus, not another one of those, please, yeah. dear God, <laughs> just because it's like if I never have a new idea yeah. again, I can spend the rest seventy years being busy all yeah. the time just yeah. with the ideas I've already had. Yeah. It's just I got a, a new hobby is replying to people on emails or social media about the film. Okay. Because you get some flat, yeah, right? Of Which are, you're, you're, you're trying to, yeah. you know, it's, it's revisionist in yeah. some ways. And, and um, I got one curious fact, and this completely caught me off guard because I was expecting a lot of hate from the, the, the Gracie Gracie, camp. Of like, course. okay, you're challenging this. Yeah. Like, I don't take credit from Carlos and Helio. I just think that, well, yeah. you guys had credit, but that's not how things happen. Yeah. You just got to, let's give due yeah. credit where, you know. And I was expecting a lot of hate from them, and I got some, but most of it actually comes. This is, the film, film's not even out yet. This is about just like, based off interviews. Sure. Of it's the, the, the flack I'm getting is from the anti-Gracie camp, mm-hmm. people who feel we're not hard enough on the races. Oh, I see. Or we're getting a lot of people going, yeah, finally, you're going to tell the story of the father lineage. And I'm like, careful. You know, it's like, oh, but the father is a non-Gracie lineage. And I'm like, careful. And I don't want to ruin it, but, like, it, the story is not quite. That people, one is not. There's, <laughs> there's, that, there's, like, the pro-father yeah. camp there, and they really want to tell their, their story because it's a non-Gracie lineage. Luis Franza was a Maeda student. Uh, no, he wasn't. Right. I mean, might have been, but there's no evidence for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, So when I say no, he wasn't, I'm saying based off of the fact that we don't have any evidence yeah. supported that claim. Uh, but, like, little things like that. And I, I said that in one interview, and I, I got some, some pretty, you know, I'm heated sure. responses. Like, yes, he was. I'm like... And I, I try to be polite. I'm going, well, if you Based have something. Right. And it's funny because like, this is actually, this happened once where the guy did correct me. I went, I said, well, yeah. Um, no, no, I, I said something about we didn't know enough about the father lineage. Mm-hmm. I didn't say he, wait, sure, what? sure. And one researcher in Brazil sent me this article, which everyone completely missed. He found an article of 1956, and it's going to be in the film. And he sent it to me out of the blue. Like, hey, man, if you want to use it in the film, yeah. like, this is just letting you know that we do know something about sure. the father lineage. And when I saw that article, I'm like, holy shit. This okay, that helps, right. And yeah. everyone missed it, but this guy, right? So he's going to be credited in the film as well. Um, and that right there kind of gives a little, it tells a story of the father lineage right. closer to what actually happened. And I don't want to blow it here, but it's going to be in the film. That's awesome. And um, yeah, so. That keeps me I think like on what we are saying about balance, it's uh, like both your personality and mine is uh, if we are off balance anyway. Okay, let's rephrase. 
we are off balance in a direction, both you and I, we are both in the driven, obsessive, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> go, 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 make it happen, 10,000 things. Yeah. What we can use is a little more Hawaiian time and just throw your feet up on I the beach. I dream and, of that every day. I yeah. talk about retiring in Hawaii every yeah, day. Right. And then when I go on vacation, which is never, but I have like three days off and like I'm ready to go home. Right. You like I, just... I enjoy the quiet, but I can't do it for more than two, three days. But I think is in fact I don't th- I think you would be wrong for somebody with mine or your personality to just try to completely change because you're not going to and yeah. you're not gonna be happy. But ten percent. You know yeah, what I mean? No, it's like if you keep exactly things how they are and yeah. tweak it ten percent, I think that would be that's the you, balance you, you that we're talking about. You know what my balance moment is? Like I, I have this game on my phone, yeah. Clash of Clans. I've been playing it for like five years now. It's surprising how bad I am at it. Right. Because it's like the one time of the day I don't want to overthink it. So right. I just like I put all my troops on the mat and like on the mat mat like for three, four seconds yeah. and I'm horrible at it. I've been playing it forever. But it's almost like my way of like I can just zone out. Right. I don't have to think. Yeah, of course. I don't want to strategize. Yeah. I don't want to. My I want my brain to go dead and yeah. just focus on this. Not even focus that much. Just watch the battle happen. Right. And I play that maybe like fifteen minutes a day every day. Of course. And that's like almost to me those fifteen minutes are like sacred. They recharge the batteries. I don't need to play video games for eight hours straight. But yeah. Fifteen minutes on the phone. Boom! I'm good that's to go. Care of back it. to work. Right. Yeah. And it, it really is almost like a get a little hit of a drug. I feel like yeah, I need yeah, my fix. Yeah. And my fix is like zoning out. Yeah from being so focused on everything else. That, it's that needed, man. Sometimes uh, that ability. And again, somebody else would need the opposite advice. Somebody yeah. else would be like, you got that part down, a little more fire under your ass wouldn't yeah. hurt, you know, get yeah. some shit done. Beside. It's the balance. It's always, it's, it's that's balance. what it's always boiled down and to, right? And it's funny, like that, 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 that word, I mean, I think deep down, when you were 12 years old, yeah. you knew that life was about balance. Right. Everyone knows this, yeah. but not everyone actually implements that in their lives. And that takes a lot of practice. But I feel like my whole life I've been telling myself this, Rob, you need more balance. You need mm-hmm. more balance. And I, you know, failures, failures here, like successes there. Uh, I, it's, 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 it's constant. It doesn't, there's never been a moment there where I felt like I had a perfect balance of it. It's, I always lean towards like overworking myself and whatever that I'm yeah. involved in. That's how I, there was a brilliant, uh, who was it? Oh, uh, Weshiba Morihei, the founder of Aikido. He had this mm-hmm. genius quote because somebody was praising him about his amazing balance and saying, oh man, you're, you never do. And he was laughing. He was like, I'd, I'm constantly off balance. It's just that I regain it so quick that you don't see me losing yeah. it. And yeah. I'm like, that makes a lot more yeah. sense than trying to say this perfect balance that doesn't really exist. Yeah. It's, it's a dynamic thing. It's, yeah. like, it's a wise, wise it's, man, too, because he acknowledges he's off balance. Yeah. But I think that his genius comes into finding it quickly. Exactly. Yeah. Which is, I think it's why certain activities, like surfing, for example, is so cool to watch as well as uh, philosophical in yeah. some way because it's that's what it's all about, right? Yeah. There are these waves that are constantly changing and you find the right spot and now it changes and you have to tweak yeah. and now it changes again yeah. and you have... Adapt. Exactly. And that's the genius of the game, you know, which ultimately, I mean, even jiu-jitsu is the same thing, right? It's yeah. all about flow. It, it, the funny thing about art, and I see, I look at surf yeah. and jiu-jitsu as art, and that's yeah. how I see them. We've seen them as sports and martial arts, but like I, now I look at it as, as an art, as something that can appreciate it for what it is, not a vehicle to an mm-hmm. end. I... I, I see that. I think it's a school for life. I learned yep. so much. I, I've, I've been doing a lot more reading on business now just because I'm like mm-hmm. trying to grow the gym. I, I've, I've finally become a businessman after like 20 years of jiu-jitsu. Like, I'm becoming more like yeah. this. So I'm doing a lot of... 
And I, don't, I, have, I fail to see anything in any of my reads, really, that I haven't learned through jiu-jitsu. Now, it's yeah. good to read to remind yourself. It reinforces it. It inspires you. It's like, okay, this successful guy is saying the same thing. Sometimes you have to doubt yourself. You go, am I right? Am I on the right track? And you see other people, successful people, saying the exact same thing. Yep. I'm probably on the right track. But I, I, I don't see anything in strategy books or business books or even philosophy, for that matter, that yeah, I yeah, haven't yeah. seen in jiu-jitsu. Like, I've, all the lessons are all there. But I think that's where awareness, and I don't like the word intelligence, but I think in this case applies an intelligence yeah. fit because somebody else may be on the mat the exact same amount of time, do the exact same thing, and what they learned is to do an amazing armbar. Yeah. Somebody else will do the thing. They will learn an amazing armbar, but they learn a principle that yeah. they can apply to everything. An amazing yeah. armbar, you're not going to apply it in anything yeah. else in life. But yeah. the principle that allows you to get there, yeah. you can apply it to everything. And as you say, and, you see it. And, and it taught me, I mean, one thing to jiu-jitsu, and this is why I recommend it's a school for life. And uh-huh. that's what I refer to, to jiu-jitsu to me, because it taught me how to be... I taught me a lot about myself. Uh-huh. Like, I was terrified of fighting when I was a kid. I got bullied more than anyone else you know. Maybe that's my my way of dealing with it was becoming a fighter. I don't know. Maybe I'm f- perfectly willing to admit that that's what happened. Uh, but, like, it's been a constant struggle to learn about myself in competition and jiu-jitsu and, and, like, running sprints on the treadmill and all these things that I hated. Uh-huh. But I went through it. It was a way of actually learning about myself and what my fears and anxieties and what my ambition is. And... I'm not say I know myself, but I feel that jujitsu was a very good way of introducing myself to myself. <laughs> I love that. That's a beautiful <laughs> quote to end with. I love, love, love that one. Anything else you want to throw out there? Before? Uh, not really. Um, I don't, you know, I think we, we talked about this right before the podcast started. I hate talking about, you know, um, promoting myself or anything that is my, I, I don't like to use interviews or podcasts sure. as a sales pitch or anything. I make the documentary an exception to that because it's not about me. I'm mm-hmm. losing money on this documentary. Right. So this is not something I'm gaining anything from other than being having the privilege of telling the story from uh, be as accurate as I possibly can. And that really is my intention. I have no intentions of doing this. I don't have a dog in this fight. Mm-hmm. This is not about attacking or glorifying the Gracie family. This is not about putting the father lineage up sure. or down or the Japanese for that matter. I just really want, like, what is the closest thing to what actually happened, yeah. you know, based off of my own approach, obviously, mm-hmm. and some of the other historians we, we spoke to. So, yeah, support the film. You know, we, we don't, we haven't started, we're going to have a marketing campaign once we're closer to being ready. Don't have a release date yet, but we might get in some film festivals. And Switch. if that is the case, we're going to hold off on releasing the film. Of so course. it might be even longer than expected. And, uh, but like, I would ask the, the, the martial arts enthusiasts and PGJ community to support the film because it's, it's for them. This film is for them. It's not for, for anyone but them. So Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, the funky music means one thing. That's the end of another fine episode of the Drunken Dows podcast. Well, that's Mr. Drysdale. Quite impressive. He's the real deal. He most definitely is. I love Robert. He's awesome. Uh, let's say thank you to the sweet folks who donated since last time. Excellent. And since we haven't done this in a while, there are a few. Let the pottering begin. So thank you to Andrew Capor. I'm completely guessing your last name. C-A-P-O-R. No idea. A capoon? I don't know. Cape or K. In any case, Andrew, thank you very much. Lisa Robles, Jim D'Amico, Matt Chebre, Yanni Linima, Aaron Weisner, 
Jonathan Waterloo, Stephen McKee, Samuel McNichol, Ross Cranham, Thomas Robinson. You guys are awesome. Outstanding. Thank you. Happy New Year from you folks, is for sure. Most definitely. There's, also, there's a donate button on the Drunken Taoist website. If you want to join in and toss a couple bucks, press, donate, easy, PayPal, no problem. We always appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, you know, somebody, <laughs> somebody sent us a donation for 20 cents. Nice. Of which PayPal takes a cut. <laughs> of so course. I think he was down to like 12 cents. I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> hey, it's appreciated. Yeah, yeah. It's the gesture that counts. That's more than 99.999% oh, yeah. of the folks that listen. True, true. So that's always appreciated. <laughs> the um, Amazon link. If you guys uh, use Amazon products, please use our link. It helps us a whole bunch. Do you see Jeff Bezos is getting divorced? I saw that. Does uh, she get $70 billion? I don't know. Probably she's a lot. She's been married to him for 25 years. Yeah, I think she's not going to be struggling for money. Let's put it that way. No. I wonder if she needs a date. Yeah, I know. Seriously, that's the lots of volunteers there. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, I forgot to mention earlier on, thank you to nevertapgear.com. Um, knee braces, if you work out to protect your joints, they also have the amazing Tomoy Gods and Rush Guard designed by Savannah. So check those guys out. At is, is the censored version going to be available shortly? I think the censored version is only going to be for Savannah. It's just purely just for, and only for her to be able to fight with. That's even better. Because, yeah, one championship was not thrilled with a severed head. They were like, yeah, the design it's is okay cool. It's okay with but, knees to the face and, and yeah, punching as hard as you can but, and, and bloody faces. That's fine. But the severed head is a no. So well, I guess we'll, you got to uh, have a line. Yeah, I guess you got to draw it somewhere. <laughs> So the um, everything else, you know, sponsors and stuff, we mentioned everybody at the beginning, so we won't kill you with too many more things here. Anything else we need to mention, or is this a wrap? Our awesome friends at Daisy House for the music and the theme that is the theme of the Drunken Dows podcast. You can't think of anything else when you not hear it. Uh, you can find their music at uh, bandcamp.com forward slash Daisy House. You can buy a single for a dollar or a record for like $8. Help them out. They sure helped us out in... Uh, I think that's probably it. Sweet. Bye. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dows Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Danielli at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. We'll see you all soon. Woo! No, you don't. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenza di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, eh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs>
This was great. It's fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. We've been yeah, having a great hour nice. here. Dun, dun, dun. I completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're outro. Oh, we're outro. Okay, sorry. So that's. So let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and... Uh, uh, your accent, it just... Whatever that movie is you were trying to tell me about... Can you translate for me, please? I believe the word was Tombstone. Yeah, that one, exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> now, most everybody thought... <coughs> Sorry. Well, <coughs> we'll do a cut on there. Or not. That was something else. <laughs> That's maybe too powerful. <laughs> What do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work. Funky. Podcasting. It's like radio, but you can cuss.